0: Following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Insiders Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California, and very what a joy, honor, and privilege to be with you all once again. And speaking once again of a joy, honor, and privilege, I have right now, right here with me. I am I, a very, very lucky man right here, right now. I get to speak to the one and only former world's women heavyweight champion. She is the modern day Mola. She is. Malaya Hasaka, how are you, ma'am?
0: I'm good. How are you? I I don't know that it's a pleasure. (laughs) I know many people say it's not so much of a pleasure. (laughs) Well,
1: I will disagree with them. Uh, This is definitely a a pleasure and honour for me to be speaking with you, uh, having been such a big fan of yours for for some years now. Uh, First question, as per usual, on the show is... uh, When you were a young lady, before you were in the business, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling?
0: I wasn't a fan of professional wrestling. My dad was the fan. (laughs) And I watched a match between Bugsy McGraw and The Missing Link. And I was like, really, dad, anybody could do this. This is so stupid. And my dad's like, well, I bet you couldn't. And that set me on the path to prove my dad wrong.
1: (laughs) That's tremendous. We, we have had that before on the show as well. They, people weren't actually a fan and they got into it and ended up becoming quite good at it. So uh, uh, finding your way into the business uh, at some point, how do you, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, find your way uh, into finding a place to get trained?
0: Well, I mean, we're talking about the mid 80s. So it was a lot harder to get in the business than what it is now. So, and especially for the girls, because the girls couldn't just go to any school like guys didn't train the girls so you had to find a school where girls could go to so I started going to shows with my dad and I met um Hacksaw Higgins who was a local wrestler. well I shouldn't say local he was working for the NWA at the time Florida Championship Wrestling and started talking with him he put me in contact with Misty Blue and I went up to her school where I was trained by Killer Kowalski
1: excellent excellent well if you're going to get trained by anyone that is somebody you should certainly it was uh,
0: amazing it was truly amazing
1: yeah <laughs> i can imagine and, and the amount of talent that has uh, come out of uh, kowalski school um especially back in those days uh, the, the names yeah. speak for themselves um uh okay so you, you do training an amazing experience uh you get into the business now i, I i'm sorry that i skim through certain things but I, i'm excited to get to certain questions uh okay. The LPWA in the early 90s. I know you you, you worked a bit there. Uh, I just want uh, for you to have the chance to let our viewers know uh, the lay of the land back then, from your perspective, what was the landscape like with ladies wrestling at that point in time?
0: Ladies wrestling at that time was still very territorial. Like We kind of stayed in our own areas until LPWA brought a bunch of us together. And then at LPWA, it was kind of like, a bunch of big fish from small ponds coming into a big pond trying to figure out who the bigger fish was um you know for instance like luna vachon she was well known she traveled you know nationally and things like that but florida was really her area so it was like myself luna vachon penelope paradise And then you go up to Georgia, you had uh, Bambi and Peggy Lee, South Carolina was Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, Nashville's Debbie Combs and Candy Devine. So we we all kind of stayed in our areas and and you didn't go outside of that area. And, And if you did, you made sure you didn't undercut the other girls. Like you were going into work with one of them because, you know, Bambi and Peggy, ran the circuit so often against each other that they needed to bring in some some new talent to kind of freshen up the matches a little bit here and there. But yeah, we, we kind of stayed to ourselves and, and respected one another like that. Um, the flip side of it is too, if you weren't cut out, the girls were a very closed circuit. So if you weren't cut out in the business and you weren't cut out to be in the ring and represent the women, they'd run you out. They, they gave no mercy. Like, so they would just make your life miserable to where you just quit because if you didn't have the heart, you weren't going to stay with it.
1: I see. That's interesting. So uh, looking back at what do you think it was that, or the qualities that you had that uh, allowed you to be, uh, I guess, accepted into that. You know,
0: um, I was quiet. I was shy. And so I really didn't say a whole lot in the locker rooms. I didn't, um, I just sat back and I listened and and I got kind of taken under Leilani's wing at LPWA. Her and Judy kind of took myself and Bambi under their wing and and Bambi and I were teamed together. So that helped. But it was just really. I I had the heart to stay with it and I wanted to learn. I I was a fan of once I got in, I was a fan of the art and what it took to be a wrestler um, and to tell the story. And I wanted to be good at that. So I wasn't just fluff. And we were also fighting the image of the glow girls back then, because, you know, glow has their cult following. But back then it kind of created a stereotype that girls couldn't wrestle. We were just the hee haw and a, a joke. And so we were fighting that that image as well, that, you know, if you're big like and. Like Leilani and Judy and not small and petite, then you could wrestle. But if you were small and petite, then you couldn't wrestle. You were, uh, you know, more the joke and the skit type wrestler. And um, so it was really, it was a transition stage for women's wrestling. I really think going from the old school into a more modern school, but we still had respect for the old school. We still learned it. We still you know, you had to have talent in order to travel. You had to have talent in order to get booked. You had to be able to to wrestle. You couldn't just get booked based off of your looks and who you knew.
1: Absolutely. And that makes me like really realize just how long Uh, women have been fighting for a a bigger position in pro wrestling because there's there's obviously you have the WWE narrative which is the strongest one because it reaches the most eyeballs unfortunately but they they always seem to forget the fact that you know this women's revolution didn't begin just like five six years ago everyone was working their butts off way way back then and and it took even longer to to get
0: what what really pisses me off about this whole women's revolution is the fact that WWE doesn't even recognize that Leilani and Judy were the first original women's tag team champions. It's like they didn't ever exist. And they were really the revolution of women's wrestling because they came in and they were wrestling the jumping bomb angels, doing things that nobody had seen before, and in, including the, the guys in the locker room. And everybody was just... a. Amazed by this stuff and so they were really transitioning women's wrestling into more of a mainstream. Hey, we can be taken seriously and we deserve a place on this card and we deserve to be looked at in a a different light than just the eye candy of the show. Um, So that was really to me the women's revolution started way back then with them to to get women on the map to be seen as as not a special attraction, but as a part of the show.
1: Absolutely. Glad that we could cover that a little bit here on the show, because yeah. Yeah. this is like a, a big part of, of um, you know my, my show is making sure that the narrative, the true narrative gets out there right. from people that were actually there. Uh, okay. uh, 1991, I, I'm always super excited when I find out somebody worked for Herb Abrams. Um, yes. You worked with Luna Vachon there, April 6, 91. and then there was a Fury Hour taping the next day. You defeated Penelope Paradise, and you worked with Luna again. Uh, This is a loaded question, but firstly, how was Luna to work with, and do you have any stories for working for Herb uh, and what the company was like?
0: Um, Well, so again, I was very green then, so I, I, I kind of took my bookings and I did my job and kept my mouth shut and did whatever was asked for me. So I didn't really ever, ma- and I, I've kind of done that my whole career. I've never really made waves in as far as like when a promoter tells me they want something um, I think there might've been two or three times that I've refused to do it um, over the course of my career. But working with Luna was amazing. Um, she was one of the first girls I ever worked with at Florida championship wrestling. When I first started long before her baby um, Luna kind of became my wrestling mom in the industry. She was there for me. She booked me in Florida. She was somebody I could go to and talk to. Um, but she could be stiff. She could be, um, but it was never unsafe. It was if she laid it in, is because she got into that the lunatic so much that I think she would just get get stiff in the ring without realizing she was being stiff. Um, but outside the ring, she was the sweetest person. I mean, I loved her. I I miss her every day
1: yeah it seems to be the general consensus about luna sweetest person but then a a a flip can switch when she's in the ring or or whatever's going on you know
0: luna had yeah luna was i I don't know if she was ever diagnosed bipolar but luna Mm. had mental issues i'll know that from especially from the dark side of the ring that they did um and And she was paranoid. Like if you were talking, and just by chance when she came in the room, the conversation ended. She would swear you were talking about her, Um, and you might not have been. You could have been talking about your dog or whatever. Um, Sadly, that that was something that haunted her in her self esteem is that she just that paranoia. but overall there wasn't a person in this in this business really that i've met with a bigger heart she would have done anything run anybody but she did have that switch and if if it flipped she went she was a full-on lunatic
1: thank you for sharing that I, i love to hear stories about uh legends like luna um moving forward again eastern championship wrestling uh I, I just downed this in my research, thought it was interesting, uh, NWA Bloodfest on October 1st, 93, uh, defeating Molly McShane. Then new substitute for Medusa at November to Remember on November 13th, uh, 93, uh, against Sherry Martel. So I, I just wanted to know, uh, this is kind of ECW before it's the extreme ECW?
0: Yeah uh but at the time it's Philadelphia but not extreme extreme it wasn't I mean the fans were still bringing things because it was the old you know the Philly the crowd and everything like that um and like even when I I wrestled Molly um they were brutal they're like you're no jumping bomb angels or who do you think you are and and things like that with the stuff that we were doing um so they were a very they they were a brutal crowd to work for um they very bloodthirsty uh working with Sherry was great yes I substituted for Medusa um because apparently her and Sherry didn't get along and Medusa didn't want to get in the ring with her. Uh, I was supposed to work in Maryland that night and they swapped it out. Medusa worked my show in Maryland and they brought me up to to Philly. Oh.
1: All right, well, that's cool. Um, I, I, I kind of had a feeling that the Philly fans would be, even back then, still. So, yeah. uh, yes. <laughs> hard to please. There we are. <laughs> Uh, Moving into 1994. Uh, Again, in my research, this appears uh, to be the time where you had your first tour of Japan with FMW. Uh, I might be wrong though. The internet can be wrong at times. Uh, uh, Please tell me of that experience and what you learned most from your time there.
0: I think it was more like 93. Okay. It may have been 94, but it was was shortly after LPWA folded. So um, because we were going over still on the high from LPWA, hoping that something more was gonna come about from it. Um, But I went over, it was myself and Bambi and Leilani Kai were the American girls that went over. And at the time I was a heel because the Americans were heels going over there. And they decided that they liked my look and they turned me babyface. It's my understanding that I was supposed to team with Megumi Kudo, but politics came into effect and that just never transpired. But I got to work with some tremendous people. Uh, Combat Toyota. she was—I uh, think the the big one over there at the time that I really worked with. But I learned that a, a three-foot nothing girl could kick you in the face and go so sorry, um, you know. <laughs> but it was it was a tremendous working experience of, because you didn't lay down and sell like you—you you had to like keep moving, 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 moving. And they were very strict on the kayfabe so like, even though they left me on the American bus where I could travel and, and associate and, and talk because I didn't speak Japanese. Um, we would pull in and I had to stay hidden and they would get everybody off the bus, then once everybody was inside they would come out and they'd shuffle me into the babyface room, so that the fans didn't see me. And then after afterwards, it was just the reverse I get shuffled out to the bus and I had to hide until all the others got on and then we drove off and then I was allowed to come out of hiding. Um, So they were very strict about that and they included their magazines even in on all of their storylines so they would know exactly where to be to take the pictures to help evolve these stories and keep them going.
1: Right, awesome stuff. It's always always interesting stories from when uh, anyone goes to Japan and and learns about the way that they do things there. Uh, Again, I wanted to move forward because this, uh, in my research, I found this to be quite interesting. Looking forward to the answer. 9th of May, 1996 for Southern States Wrestling in Johnson City, Tennessee. You defeat Debbie Combs to become the NWA World Women's Champion for a day before dropping it back the following day in Fall Branch, Tennessee. Uh, Could you tell me what this was all about? Uh, Why the the hot potato with the championship here? how was it? At
0: the time, I believe NWA was trying to recognize Medusa as the champion. I don't think Debbie nor I ever really thought they would recognize that as me holding the belt, even though Debbie was the the actual NWA champion at the time. Um I think they were they were really trying, I believe it was Medusa. It could have been Bambi, but I believe it was Medusa they were trying to bill as being their champion. Um and Debbie and I were just running the circuit. That was, so after LPWA closed, Debbie kind of took me under her wing and really seasoned me out, taking me with her everywhere and traveling. And so I was I was in the ring with her, goodness, at least three weekends a year, um, three times a week, you know? And so, you know, when you run that, that territory, like I said, with uh, even Be- Peggy and Bambi did, you have to do things to kind of keep the crowd coming back. And those towns were close together. So the idea was drop the belt to me on the first night, and then she could take it back the second night, but it would keep a storyline going and versus just her beating me both nights.
1: Okay. That makes sense. So I'm sure, you know, it's, this is just, you know, this is uh this is business. You do, this is what you got to do to draw the yeah. next house. It's not like you right. have this moment where you, you, you hold this championship and you're like, I, this is, is this is this a
0: massive moment right so so don't get me wrong like the the belts mean something the belts every company should mean something which is one reason i'm against you'll never see me with a picture of like every company's belt together because i don't want to diminish like one company's belt to another. like i've got 10 belts look at me um no every company's belt should be special we didn't think nwa would ever recognize that but it's one of those people like, like look i won the belt you didn't win the belt. Okay. It was given to you during a storyline. You didn't actually win this belt. Like you didn't go in there and fight to the death to get this belt. Um, so I love when people are like, Oh, did you see so-and-so won the belt? Um, yeah. They didn't win the belt. It was given to them. Um, it didn't get them any more money. Um, yeah. It's the belt essentially is a prop. Yes. You, the, you need a champion to justify your belt and make your belt mean something, but your belt needs to mean something in order to put it on a champion. And it's it's the two p- components of the wrestling ring working together and the wrestling business working together. Um, it's not like you know going out and in, in boxing and you knock somebody out and also you've got the world title okay. Um, this is entertainment, the bottom line of it is sports entertainment um, so you've got to do what's best to draw business.
1: Absolutely, it's a very refreshing take uh, on uh, the championship situation in professional wrestling. I I like hearing that. Very good. Okay, uh, I want to start getting to some WCW talk here because this was when I first discovered you and became a fan of you, was uh, watching WCW. Uh, How did the company or did you get into contact with one another? I I have a feeling maybe Sunny Ono might have something to do with it, but that's just uh, a guess.
0: Actually not. Um, uh, It was really weird. I was working a show. I was doing a um, kind of a little loop up through... Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina and um, coming down and I was scheduled to work a show for Ben Masters in Georgia. And I was working Candy Divine and Terry Taylor happened to be there that night. And um, Tracy Smothers told Terry that I really, that he really needed to watch my match. And Terry watched my match and afterwards he asked me if I would consider working for WCW. And I'm like, mm, let me think about that one for like two seconds, yeah. And he's like, well, you'd have to work Medusa. I'm like, kind of figured that. Um, <laughs> but he checked my name. And uh, yeah, that's really how I got in there. And then I was paired with Sunny Ono because Medusa needed to lose. And I guess that was the way to justify her losing was the fact that Sunny walks me out. He holds her feet. She can't kick out. And then because like literally the very next week, he's managing Akira Hokuto over me. So like yeah. I one he's out there with me helping me beat Medusa and the next week he's out there with a Hokuto beating me. So um, yeah, it, I like Sonny. I, I had a good experience with him and stuff like that, but I say this lot, and he's not the only one. There's a lot of people I've come across from my past that remember my importance in the company a lot different than what I do. Right. And Sonny was an integral part of the women's division. And I just, don't remember it being that way i was kind of the girl they brought in because i had no problem putting anybody over that they wanted to put over
1: right interesting yeah because uh i i I just i find the wcw women's division from like that 96 to 97 period very interesting because it was there and then it was kind of all of a sudden just gone and uh, I, i will get to that soon and also it's interesting um when i look at your time in wcw because yes like you were with sunny one minute then he was with someone else then it appeared like you might have been a baby face every single time you went out there right. it seemed like you had a different theme song <laughs>
0: right yeah they they were just all over like i like i said i was just kind of the extra as they would call it today or enhancement talent whatever you want to call it um some people call it the job girl um i was just like i said i don't I guess that's one reason why you could say I never made it big, big is because I don't rock the boat. I go in and I do my job. I'm paid to do a job and I do that job. Um, It says squeaky wheel gets the grease, but I just never squeaked. So I, that's what you want. That's what you get. That's I go out there and do the best of my ability. Um, As far as the women's division at that time. Now, my understanding of it is that Medusa had the power. And Medusa only wanted to work with the Japanese girls. And they kept bringing me back because here's a local Japanese girl that Medusa could work against, and they don't have to have the expense of bringing it in the Japanese girl. Um, Medusa tells it differently. She says that she didn't have the power. She wishes she did have the power. So again, uh, which story is right, which story is wrong? I don't know. I just know what I was told back then. And what I was told is that she only wanted the Japanese girls in there, which is why other than myself for that whole time, pretty much it was only Japanese girls in there.
1: Right. Interesting. Interesting. I love learning about this because this is like a, a, one of these little mysteries of WCW that I'm, I wanted to dig into here. Uh, November 10th, 96, uh, you make your WCW worldwide debut. Uh, they wrote your name as Malia. They suck, huh?
0: <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. have spelled quite a few ways there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, well, I was having a hard time, too, because the commentators kept on pronouncing your first name differently right. each time, and I was just right. like, can someone please get it right so I know exactly how, so I had to look at some other footage yeah. from different companies yeah. <laughs> to get it right, but uh, uh, you you work with uh, uh, Mako Me- Satomura, who is the current NXT UK Women's Champion. Uh, when I looked at this and I like could did a deep dive on who she was i couldn't believe i was like wow she must have been like a teenager or something at this point right Uh, yeah because i believe she's still only uh, 40 years old or something like that at this stage right Um, it only lasted a minute and 14 seconds for me how does that happen It, it seems like this was pretty prevalent a lot of the matches in my research it seemed like they weren't, didn't even give you girls longer than, than five minutes. Um, was that frustrating? Girls are never
0: given, given very long. Um, it, they're not viewed as being necessary, but I don't think they think the women can carry it, to be honest. Um, one, if you have girls go out there and really work hard and do a great job, well, now your guys got to work that much harder. And how many of the top talent really want to work that much harder? Um, and it... It goes back to like a laugh, but I don't know if you're uh, familiar with uh beautiful Bobby and little Cato, the midgets. Yep. So they were two of the best midget wrestlers out on the indie circuit. And I was working for Harley race and they were working for Harley race. Well, we would argue over who had to follow each other because we knew you had to step it up if you followed the other one. Um, and I think that's a lar- large part of with the girls, too, is that. Why do we go out there and give the girls a huge storyline and opportunity to do like a 12 to 15 minute match if they go out there and blow the house down. Well, now we've got to work harder to keep them back with us Um, because there are certainly girls that are capable of going out there and doing that. Um, Even back then, there were women capable of going out there and doing that. Uh, But, yeah, they just women were just at that time not seen as being necessary part of the show or something that the fans wanted to see.
1: All right, yeah, because it, it it's interesting to me because, you know, they, they start this uh, women's division, they start the tournament, uh, eight ladies enter a tournament spanning 56 days from November 4th, ninety six to Starcade on December 29th. Uh, you enter the tournament on Nitro, defeated by zero. Uh, did management or anyone up above mention anything about plans going forward this is going to be a division that will be going uh be, be a part of the company yeah. for the long haul nothing like that no if it,
0: it, it, if they had anything like that it was never mentioned to me um again that's where i say you know i don't feel like i was in an integral part of that women's division so the way i understand the whole zero so i beat medusa akira beats me but because i beat a, so then akira beats me and zero beats me so but because I beat medusa it's okay for medusa to beat zero or something like that it 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 again it was politics it was a lot of politics involved in in egos of getting everybody um, on the same page and able to agree because i think the the storyline or whatever it was going forward of whatever they had planned was probably between the three of them and i was just the person again thrown in there to help move the story along to get to the you know hey who can we call to help us out on this oh let's call Malaya because you know she doesn't argue over anything um she'll do what we want and I think that was one of the few times I did I went out there and I and Chagusa actually really wanted to bump for me and then um she was told no uh they said you you don't bump at all and so I went out there and it was like literally a three second match. And after that, I called Paul Orendorf the next day at the office and I said, Look, I'll put anybody you want over. I have no problem doing that. I said, But I will not do it that way ever again. I said, There's a right way and a wrong way. And I still have an independent career to f- think about. You're not signing me to a contract, and I still have a career on the indies that pays my bills, and I can't afford for you to squash me like that. And Paul understood that. And, you know, he never had a problem. I never had any heat, as far as I know, over anything like that. Um, you know, because again, like I said, it, it, I'm paid to win or lose. I'm not out there fighting for my life. I don't, and Luna's actually the one that said it. She's, I've made a very good living out of putting other people over. And I've held on to that because I have made a really good living and I've had a great career putting other people over. And I don't need to be like known as, oh, the world's greatest champion who never lost. I just wanna be known as one of the best female wrestlers out there.
1: Absolutely, and you were without a doubt about it in my mind whatsoever. Um, the locker room at WCW, I know like uh, each time you go there, I just wanted to know, were there any male wrestlers that were supportive or, or ma- guys in management that were supportive? Who in the company do you feel maybe uh, made an effort uh, or made, made friends with you, was friendly with you?
0: Um, at that time, um, Terry was really the supportive one as far as that goes. Um, as, but he was the one that got me booked there. And, and beyond that, I didn't really have any interaction with him uh, until years. Well, a few years later when um Starla Saxton came about, but um, no, I mean, really at at that time, I think um, I didn't really have a huge support system. I had Debbie Combs there. Um, In fact, the night that uh, Medusa was to put me over, it was kind of weird. And she was saying that she wasn't feeling good. She didn't know if she was going to be able to do the match. And um, about that time, Debbie walked into the trailer and Terry said, well, and Medusa goes, no, 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 I can do the match. It'll be fine. Um, So yeah, I don't, you know, I I don't know what, you know, again, that that's just what happened. I can't say if she didn't want me to put, want to have to put me over, or if she just didn't want me to be out there with Debbie, because I worked with Debbie so much, it would have flowed. I, I don't know. Um, Like back then there was a lot of politics and positioning, and I think a lot of, jealousy
1: or insecurities right interesting stuff i like it uh i mean it's not great but i I just like learning about the (laughs) yeah
0: no but you know it's not and that's the thing it's like it wasn't great our women have always been their own worst enemies um Mm. there's not a lot of spots for us so if you're going to let your ego get in the way then all you do wind up doing is destroying whatever the women could have been built to be
1: great point great point um I want to bring up another legend here, uh, Leilani Kai. March 19th, 97, uh, it, it appears that you you work with her uh, in on WCW Saturday night in Dalton, Georgia. Um, and they misspelled your name again on this one. Right, again, uh, Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was it to have her there and work with her in WCW at that point in time? Um,
0: oh, it was amazing, like, because I, I here's a girl that a woman I respected, I trusted, and I knew that she would want me to look the best that I could look. So I, I wasn't worried about having to go out there and, and would I be hurt intentionally or unintentionally or the girl saying, no, I can't do that or I won't do that or whatever. Leilani was always about making the other person look the best they could. And that's what she did that night for me. She She really helped me out a lot.
1: That's great to hear. Yeah, as a fan, it's frustrating You see someone like that pop in and then you don't see her on TV (laughs) for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting seeing her pop in there and work with you. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to ask about, uh, the World Women's Cruiserweight Championship is created uh, as a joint venture between WCW and uh, Gaia Japan. Uh, first champion was crowned in a four-woman tournament that began on March 31st, 97. concluded April 7th. The tournament final was only shown on WCW main event, uh, and the results were never mentioned on WCW television again.
0: Uh, and the belt never came back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the belt never came back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the only question was, you know, why doesn't my beloved Malaya Hasaka win the championship here? I mean, geez.
0: But uh, again, politics, that's, that's the name of the game of everything, right? Politics. Um, in fact, I, the first match that I did, I was out there and the referee was calling for us to go home. I was like, go home, go home, go home. So I, I shortened the match up a lot. And so then the next match I had, um, the girl tried to take some liberties with me to get even because they thought I was just screwing over the first girl. Um, you know, because they weren't in the ring and because the first girl doesn't speak English, she wasn't hearing the the guy say go home or understanding or whatever. And I was just following direction. Um, And they never talked to me about it. It's just, I know that they were standing there screaming and I know what was being screamed backstage. So, and then the next, literally the next time I went out, the girl was super stiff and everything. And I I did have to worry about whether or not I was going to leave the ring uninjured.
1: Right. My gosh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay. I, I have to bring up Starla Saxton, uh, who many may know as Molly Holly. Uh, you worked with us yeah. a, a, a certain amount of times there in, in uh, 1998. Uh, how did you find working with her uh, and and what would you say led to you kind of uh, moving away from world championship wrestling?
0: Um, I'm at Molly, when she was Starla Saxon, just starting out, and I want to say it was like the fifth match of her career, she didn't even have gear or boots, she was working for WCW because of me. Um, I had actually run into Terry, and he had asked me what I'd been doing, and I told him about Starla, and he said, well, why don't you bring her to Nitro on Monday, I'll give you a dark match and take a look at her, I'm like, cool. So then the next day I get a phone call and Terry says, Hey, I decided I want you to bring her to TV on Saturday because I should probably look at her before I put you guys on nitro. And I'm like, okay, great. So I call her up and, and there's that for a year, year and a half. Um, I think she and I are very good friends. Um, I kind of take her under my wing. I'm traveling with her. I'm getting her booked everywhere. I've got my name coming off of WCW. So I'm able to, to get her flown in because she's who I want to work with and get her more of a payday than what she should have been making at that point in her career. Um, and, you know, uh, like I said, I, I really thought we were good friends. I really considered her to be a, a personal best friend of mine in and out of the business. Um, Terry Taylor quit his job in. At the end of January and Starla told me off a couple days later, and a week later she was walking savage to the ring. Now the whole time that she and I were friends, or when I thought we were friends she was living with Lanny Poffo, and going to parties at Hogan's and Randy savages and all of this stuff. which I never begrudged her. I always thought, you know, hey, it's great. If something comes about, then we're friends. We're gonna get it together. It's it's all gonna be good. Uh, just didn't end up working out that way.
1: I see, very interesting stuff. Uh, okay, so you move away from WCW. Uh, research again tells me you signed with the World Wrestling Federation in 1999. How did this opportunity come about? Was it because Terry, Moved over to WWF. Again,
0: Terry. Yep. Terry went to WWF and um he brought me in and and I did that whole fan deal. Yeah. And um a month later they signed me to a developmental and they had the idea to put me with Poppy Chulo and call me Aphrodisia. But then They had also signed Lita. And well, the week I was supposed to start managing Poppy, Poppy didn't make it in from Mexico due to customs or something. I don't remember what. And so the next week they called me and told me that they weren't going to need me because they decided that Lita had a better look for him. And so she became Lita and started managing him. And Terry had quit at that point also. So, um, Yeah, it was kind of like, well, the guy who hired you and had the story for you is not here. So we're going to sit you home and we're going to go in this direction and we'll get back to you when we know something for you. So i more or less, I sat home for about a year. Um, Towards the end of the year, I think it was around the beginning of January. I can't remember exactly. I was working for Harley and they called me and said, hey, we want you to go to Memphis and work. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to move there. I'm like, um, I'm married and I have a life in Florida and I'm wrestling every week. What am I doing in Memphis? Well, we're going to have you working for Lawler and working on character stuff. I'm like, well, what character? I'm like, well, we don't have a character for you. I'm like, been doing Malaya for 13 years. So kind of got that one down guys. And they were asking me literally to take like a $1,500 a week pay cut to go live in Memphis and double my expenses because my husband wasn't going to move to Memphis and not make any extra money. And I just couldn't justify that. And I'm like, you know, if you've got something for me, I'm happy to go. But if I'm just going there to wrestle because you don't know what to do with me, I'm wrestling every week, I can send you tapes from Harley race every week of what I'm doing. I'm in his school helping to train the guys I'm helping do the tryouts I'm, you know, doing his shows Thursday, Friday, Saturdays every week. And so they kind of dropped it and left me alone. And then they came up and said, well, we really don't have any other other stories. And I said, what about the Dudley sister? I'm like, because at the time the divas were huge and everything was TNA. And I said, let me be the Dudley sister. Put me in the traditional long Catholic schoolgirls outfit, not the, the sexy, cute one everybody thinks of, but like the traditional gaudy, ugly schoolgirl outfit. my hair in the braids little to no makeup make me look as hideous as you you possibly can and i'll go out there and i will just be bubba i love him please don't hurt him bubba and nope didn't like it
1: (laughs) i thought it would be great i think (laughs) that would have been fantastic
0: (laughs) yeah
1: oh that's just it just blows my mind because you know 1999 is kind of where i was talking about uh, you know as you got signed and all that Mm -hmm. at that point they really did need more ladies on the roster because no you know you had ivory you had jacqueline right they can't keep wrestling each other every week it was very thin no
0: and i mean and honestly that was kind of the like i look at that like the pinnacle of my career where it could have gone what it could have gone higher but instead i did what i was told and it kind of like tipped over the edge and and started its decline down on the backside, which, you know, everything happens for a reason. But if there's one thing in my career I could have changed, it probably would have been that point because I was sitting there going over everything and somebody said, well, they're not going to buy her as a fan because she's been a wrestler and one of the agents says, yes, but she's never wrestled for us. So nobody's going to know who she is. And literally five minutes after I did the fan thing, it was all over the internet who I was. So there goes the Rocky Balboa storyline they had because, all of a sudden, I can't be this fan turn wrestler. And I believe in my heart of hearts that if I would have stood up and said, hey, instead of me posing as a fan, you can build me that way. But instead of backing down from ivory, how about if I look at her and just say, you know what, if you can't keep your tits and ass out of the ring. Or if you can't wrestle, just keep your tits and ass out of the ring. Because that was kind of my thing back then was if you can't wrestle, keep your tits and ass out of the ring. So I said, if I would have said that, and then she could have slapped me and then we could have gone, then it wouldn't have mattered whether I was a wrestler or not. Now it was just somebody that mal- got in the ring and mouthed off to her and you could have built it either way. If nobody recognized me, I could have been the smart aleck fan who trained to be a wrestler who came back, da, 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 da. And if I was recognized, well, she got in the, you know, here's this pro indie girl who, who poses as a fan to get in the ring just to tell Ivory off or whatever, you know, you could, there's so many different ways you could have taken that. But again... Don't rock the boat. Do what you're told. This is what you're hired to do. And that's what I did, so.
1: Yeah, it is a shame because the story writes itself right there. I mean, it's 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 not yeah. rocket science when you have a simple right. story of her picking someone out of the crowd. The mm-hmm. person just so happens to have already been trained to wrestle and right. surprises her by actually knowing what to do. And that makes right. Ivory look ignorant because she didn't recognize you because her head's up her right. ass as a character. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right, Yeah. Um, so, okay. Moving forward, away from the WWF, get get away from that stuff because uh, most of the time when I have people on the show, there's something that uh, gets gets me angry. Uh, I want to talk about I want to talk about Brandy Alexander working with her in Puerto Rico. Uh, 1999. In my research, it says in August that was when you went there for the first time. Could be wrong, but. Uh, let wrong. me
0: know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's wrong. Um, that was oh. the first time I went there with her. Um, okay. But no, I had been going down uh, for several years for Carlos, doing his anniversary shows, working against Tigressa, um, mostly. I think that's really the only person. I think I might have worked Debbie Combs down there one time, but I can't remember for sure. Um, but yeah, so then I went down later on. It was Brandy's first and only time down there, I believe. Um, but I loved working with Brandy Alexander. Um she was my dance partner in the ring we could easily go out there and do a 45 minute match and not even realize that we've been in the ring that long she was just she was a great heel to work against and i was a good baby face and we just we were just able to tell a story and hold the crowd and it was amazing
1: Right, awesome yeah uh, so, sorry for the mistake there it's just it happens oh, no, almost every fine. interview Oh,
0: no, it's fine. It's No, totally, it's fine. I mean, I, I trust me, I've read Wikipedia. There's a lot of mistakes on Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've tripped up many times because of Wikipedia. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: um, okay, I want to talk about Harley, uh, World League Wrestling uh, in 2000, working with a, a lady by the name of Brandy Wine there at, at times, oh, who I actually got to see perform at my first ever wrestling show here in Australia uh, back oh, yeah. when I was... Uh, 14 i think uh, she came over for a tour um which was headlined by uh Kurt hennig and Dennis yeah. Rodman um
0: right yeah
1: but uh you know I just thought wow that's really cool that I can bring her name up because she was there the first ever yeah. show I went to sure. but uh, i want to know a little bit about her uh and um the, i guess the health of uh women's wrestling outside of the the, the wWF and all of that yeah. uh, in that scene.
0: I think the health of women's wrestling outside of the the WWF and even the WCW back then was good because when I was with WWF, one of the road agents came to me and said, you know, why do the girls want to wrestle? Uh, We have 11 men's matches. Nobody wants to see the girls wrestle. And I looked at him and said, well, I know you're wrong. He said, well, how do you figure? I said, because I don't get flown all over the United States and all over the world because I'm TNA. I get flown to these places because I'm talented and I know how to do my job and I know how to wrestle. They can get anybody to get in there and roll around and do a stripper match. They cannot get women to get in there and tell a story and entertain the crowds and be family friendly and be wrestlers. And that's what the people want. Um, So Brandy Wine, I actually was, um, one of her first matches uh, she tagged with me when she first started, but I consider Brandy Wine a very good friend. Um, We traveled together and we hung out together, uh, both in the ring, out of the ring, in the business, out of the business. Um, She's hilarious. But back then, because of everything I'd gone through between Molly Holly and WWF, uh, there was a point where I became very bitter. And I told Brandy Wine, uh, she had no business being in the business because she didn't, I kind of envy her in some aspects these days because back then she never wanted to go to WWF. She never wanted to be a huge star. She just, her dream was to be a wrestler and she was a wrestler. And it didn't matter where she worked or how how well or how often or whatever, she just wanted to wrestle and have fun. And that saved her from a lot of politics I think and a lot of heartache that if I could have been more like that then probably wouldn't have had that bitter period of my time because I'd have just been wrestling. Um, But yeah, at that time, it was just like, you know, if all you want to do is wrestle in the indies, why are you even in the business? Like, if you have no ambition to go anywhere and do anything, why do you do it? She's like, because I love it. Because I love being in the ring. And because I have fun. And because I was a fan of wrestling. And, and that was it, you know,
1: Wow, that's really an interesting perspective to hear it from. It kind of makes me think of when I I was in uh, in a rock band and uh, I wanted it to be this big thing. And when it didn't work out that way, I felt quite bitter about the whole thing. I should have just enjoyed what I was doing and not worry about that stuff.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You can, you know, you get so much more pleasure out of it then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, There was another lady. I'm bringing up a lot of different ladies' names here because. uh, for me a lot of unsung heroes in pro wrestling that well, i'd like absolutely. to get the name out there of course so one lady that i i was always a very big fan of was daphne uh and i got, see that you had the chance to work with her for turnbuckle championship wrestling in 2001 I um and I have, ha, yeah. how did you find working with her and, and did you get to know her very much
0: daphne was another one that i considered a very good friend outside of the business. Um, yeah, uh I loved working with her. The first I remember that she was worried about working with me the first time we worked together and um we were in the ring and I think I have I think she had me in a headlock takeover. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to go back, but anyways, I noticed her pants were coming down. So while I was selling, I reached down and I grabbed her pants and pulled them up for her. She's like, "Thanks." Um but yeah, but kind of from that moment on, she's like, "You're the best," you know, and and she started relaxing and and we would train together up at uh, TCW. I would go to her dusty school and she would meet me there and I would help train her and and teach her new moves and teach her some psychology. And because, you know, she didn't come in as a wrestler. She came in as, as the scream queen with David Flair and turning to the wrestling was just kind of where she went after that was ending because that was her option to get fired or become a wrestler, I guess. Um, you know, and I think they kind of sent the girls then back back to the power plant and then once she left there she was just on the independent circuit and working for Dusty and and yeah I mean I think Daphne was a highly underrated wrestler and a highly underrated talent
1: definitely and a highly underrated person as well I believe yes uh, okay. as far as I'm concerned I didn't get to know,
0: know her, her but everybody that knows Daphne loves her I mean she just had this this personality about her and this positive light about her she just you know, I don't I think anybody that crossed paths with her, I don't think she was underrated with any of them because we all miss her dreadfully.
1: That's nice to hear.
0: Um
1: uh 18th of June 2003, I wanted to bring up uh because you work for TNA against Trinity, who I've also interviewed. Uh was this Terry asking you? I I, I know Terry was there here and there. Um, but
0: no, um this was actually me asking Terry for a favor. Okay. Um, um there was another girl there who liked to lord it over daphne and um some other girls on the independent circuit that she was with tna and she acted like it was some big big thing and um that she was on their tv and i was like well you're not getting paid anybody can be on tv if they're not getting paid and so it was kind of another fu to that particular girl that where i called Terry up and said, Hey, um, I'm in town. Can I do the show? And he's like, sure, come by. I'll see what we got. And I wound up working with Trinity. Um, but I did it more or less just to prove to that other girl, you know, if I really wanted to be there, I could be there. I don't want to be there working for free, which is why I'm not there, but wanted to, I could
1: (laughs) good, good. I love hearing stuff like that. You proved your point (laughs) just like that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, just like, you know, my dad told me, I dare you, you couldn't do it. So hi, dad, here I am 30 years later.
1: Um. <laughs> um, we're getting to the tail end here of the interview. But a few more questions here that I have Uh the late 2000s. You work uh, with a lot of young ladies early into their career. And just to name a few, uh Neil Dashwood, Ember Moon, uh, Serena Deeb, Lever Bates, AJ Lee, Jessica Habit, Mia Yim, Santana Garrett, to name a few. Um, out of right. and then there's plenty more, I'm sure. Who would you say right. out of all of this stood out to you the most as someone that you could see a lot in? Her?
0: Leva Bates. I mean, I always thought Leva just had this charisma about her, and the way she liked to do the cosplay, and and I wasn't sure how that cosplay could really fit into wrestling because I because obviously you can't take like trademark things and put it on the show because it's trademarked. So, at one point, I thought, well, what if you just pretend to be like this weird, like comic con wrestling con person and you just start dressing up as all these different wrestlers, like whoever you were wrestling against, you just start dressing like them because you were their fan type thing. So I'm really glad that leva um Leva's out there and she's got it. and abaddon was actually another one um i worked with her at the beginning of her career and when i worked with her it was just such a pleasure to be in the ring and i thought to myself you know it's really a shame because she didn't have that barbie doll look and as much as they talk about this women's revolution it's still a bunch of barbie dolls um they might be talented barbie dolls now but it's still a bunch of barbie dolls out there and because she didn't fit that mold i was i was just like it's unless something comes up i just don't know where she's gonna go with this career and it's a shame because she has this potential and she has this talent below her so when she did she came out on aew i like i said i'm not a fan so I don't really watch it um i had to message matt yaden of rocky mountain pro and say is that abaddon abaddon and he's like yeah so i was very proud for her too and i'm very happy that she's has come as far as she has
1: excellent to hear excellent um uh, next question, uh, just just a random question, really. What do you think of intergender wrestling?
0: Can't stand it. Absolutely hate it. I think it promotes violence on women. I think it teaches young children that it's okay to hit the opposite sex. Um, when you start blurring those lines, like say you're a wrestling couple and you're in there against your significant other, and you're allowing them to take blows and give you blows you're blurring that line. And then all of a sudden you get out when you guys get into a heated argument and it becomes physical and you're shocked. You've, you, when you blur those lines, you can't unblur them. And I think as athletes, we have a responsibility to, to go back to some old school values of no, it's not okay to hit a girl. Can girls get in there and hold their own? Absolutely. Does the MMA allow it? No. Does boxing allow it? No. Why? Because when it comes down to it, men are physically stronger. So unless you're in something like a karate or a martial arts type thing where you're learning to use their, their body weight and their momentum and things against them, you really can't overpower a man unless you happen to be a six foot two beast against a five foot, no, foot nothing man. You know, it's just you're not going to do it when you go in there and you're toe to toe men are physically stronger. And that's just the bottom line of it. And by you putting it out there and saying that it's okay for this little boy's favorite guy to beat up this woman, he's going to go and do it in school and he doesn't see anything wrong with it. And then you have, I'm, I'm, and I know it's stereotypical, but yes, you have all these rednecks and hillbillies and even the closet, um, businessmen that are abusers. Well, now you're teaching them that it's okay to do this. And I don't care that it show, um, kids don't understand that. And it just shouldn't be out there. I, I don't. And I saw that one of the girls posted that she doesn't, her shirt was like the world's best wrestler because she didn't want to be known as the world's best female wrestler. And I think that wrestling is a broad, especially professional wrestling. It's a broad enough scope of athletes that it's okay that you have a best male wrestler and to have a best female wrestler and to have a best midget wrestler um because there's room enough in this this world for all of us and we can all stand out and be unique in our own selves and within our own genders and respect one another's gender and choices um so no i'm absolutely 100 percent totally against it now the only exception to that would be the transgenders And that's only with the exception of, if when you go to the ring, you look like a female and nobody in that audience is going to know that you, whether you've had a surgery or not had a surgery, they 100% believe that you are a female, then wrestle as a female. If they're going to 100% believe you as a male, then wrestle as a male and wrestle men. Um, Because that's what you're associating with, and that's what you're portraying, and that's what you're being, then that's great. Um, for the ones that want to do I the non-binary, and, and they want to wrestle both, I don't know. It, can we make a, a division for them without them feeling like they're being segregated or discriminated against? I don't know in today's world, um, but I think there has to be a line somewhere in there where we go back to teaching our children across the world what it is to respect women and what it is to not only respect their intelligence, but to to protect them and to teach women that it's not. I don't know male masculinity that they open a door for you that is simply them being a gentleman and then treating you with this type of respect. I
1: agree. I, I really do agree with pretty much everything you said there because it was only a couple of months ago I saw a match between uh, Jordan Grace and Matt, Matt Cardona on impact and uh, she was in the corner in the uh, uh, right the, at the bottom on a, on a, uh, against the turnbuckle and he runs across from the other side of the ring and just kicks her full f- force in the face. Right. And to me, when I watch that, I'm like, I don't like seeing that. I know that they're yeah. having a great match here and it was a great match, but right. I don't like seeing... Right. And kick her in the face
0: no <laughs> just and and not only do i not like seeing that like okay yeah if you get me really pissed off and you hit me and you don't knock me out then yeah i'm gonna get up and retaliate i don't know how i'm gonna retaliate but you've awakened the the, the sleeping capital b that lives in me and it's gonna come out um am i gonna be able to hold my own probably not now more than likely if a normal man that's what 6 foot average uh 203 250 280 hits me i'm probably not getting up mm. and if you ran across the ring and kicked me i probably wouldn't be getting up if it was for real you know and and so you take away the believability which is part of wrestling's art like it wasn't great back in the day because it was all this glitz and glamour it was great because you suspended that belief and for the time that the people were at the show they got to believe in good and evil and cheer and boo and they weren't thinking that this was you know um Dwayne Johnson playing the rock they thought it was the rock getting his butt kicked and I'm going to save him and and I'm Granted, he wasn't way back in the day, but I don't know anybody's real names from way back then. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's like when you watch a movie, you don't want to sit there and go, oh, well, that's Mel Gibson, the same actor in every movie and the same character and the and the same expressions. You want to get invested in the character that he's playing in that movie. And and I think that's the other part of I don't agree with violence on women in the movies but at least in the movies the kids see this actor playing all these different characters where in wrestling they only see you playing this one character so if this one person is beating up women they're not differentiating it as being a show this man is beating up a woman and whoever joe schmo is my idol and it's okay for him to hit a girl so now it's okay for me to hit a girl and it doesn't matter that doesn't go along with joe schmo's values all they see is josh mo
1: wow that is a point and a perspective i never looked at it before that is so true that is so true i used to get Confused, why did someone get so mad at someone who did something on a live wrestling show? But when you watch Law and Order that night, there's something that even hot, more horrible took place. Right now, I'm kind of right. understanding it now that you've put it right. that way.
0: Because, yeah, you because know, like when you're watching Law and Order, you're invested in it because you're invested in the actual story and what's mm. going on. Where in the wrestling, yeah, you get mad at them because you can yell and scream, but they're only that one person. Like, yeah. you know, that it's like taking your favorite, like, I don't know, like an act, I guess when actors get stereotyped and they can't ever break out of that role, it's because they have played that one character so well, nobody can see him as anything else.
1: Very good point. Very good point. Um, Okay. Last question before I get to my final segment of the show, what else do you hope to accomplish in your time in professional wrestling?
0: Um, I hope to pass on some of the art to the newer generation. I hope that I can teach some of the girls what the art of wrestling is, and even some of the guys, um, and have them take that art and put into this new school vibe that they've all got going. And maybe somewhere in the middle there find a balance so that what is wrestling can come back into what it's supposed to be and be great, but be great with this generation's twist, I guessed.
1: Very nice. Well, I, I like to hear that. That's good. Um, okay, Malaya Saka, Get to our final segment here. I really appreciate your time. <laughs> Early in the interview, it was very difficult for me. I was stumbling over my words. My heart was pounding. I finally calmed down now. (laughs) Uh, So I have appreciated your time. Uh, The final segment is called Five Second Frenzy. The rule is supposed to be that you have five seconds to answer each question, but it's okay Okay. if you take a little bit longer. Um, Here we go. Five Second Frenzy. The first question is, who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time? Luna Vachon. Excellent choice. If you could pick one person who's your favorite opponent over the years, who would you choose? Debbie Combs. Very nice. Uh, The last one about wrestling here, uh, favorite match personally for you that you performed in over your career?
0: Uh, Against uh, Brandy Alexander for the WLW title in Springfield, Illinois.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Moving away from wrestling now, favorite book?
0: Oh, that one's a hard one. I like a lot of historical trash novels. I don't really have a favorite.
1: Very good, that sounds like uh, the type of stuff my mom likes, so that's cool.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? Uh,
0: right now, Rookie. Nice, uh, favorite film? Ooh, That one's hard to. Serenity.
1: Nice, uh, favorite musical artist? toby keith (laughs) very nice choice uh moving away from the arts now favorite food sushi nice very good choice uh favorite place to eat on the road
0: uh right now el tropico in miami
1: Sounds nice. We don't have a lot of fancy stuff here in Australia like that. Huh? Uh, it's
0: actually, I just, it's really good though. It's good Cuban food.
1: Nice, nice. Um, third last one here. Uh, supposed to be favorite alcoholic beverage. If you don't drink, uh, favorite beverage in general?
0: Strawberry lemonade.
1: Nice. Uh, the, the second last one here, I guess it's kind of like the naughtiest one. Uh, favorite male body part. You see a good looking guy, you know, what What would your Dad. eyes go to first? Yeah. Abs, very I'm nice. Kind of abs.
0: Choice. Else.
1: <laughs> Excellent, of course. Uh, and the final one here I, I don't believe you said one swear word, one curse word, but it's supposed to be your favorite curse word.
0: Fuck. <laughs> Every other word, usually. <laughs>
1: Well, if this were Family Feud, that would be the number one answer for uh, (laughs) the segment. (laughs) Well, Malay Hasaka, I want to thank you so much for your time. It really meant a lot to me to to have the chance to talk to you. I learned something through this interview, which means, because I'm such a nerd, if I learn something, that means heaps of people are going to learn something from this interview. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, and I just hope you are so proud of everything that you accomplished in professional wrestling. You've helped a lot of people. And all the way over here in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, yeah. you have your number one Australian fan.
0: Well, see, I'm still trying to wrestle in Australia. So some of the Australian bookers need to book me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do my best and I'll let them all know that Moana okay, has come down under. <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> Thanks but, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: You're welcome. And thank you all out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California LaFornian Fury. This is my new friend, Malaya Hasaka, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.